Welcome back to Unemployed with Anna Royston. You know, today's been a day of free work. It's just free labor for me. Uh, I'm, you know, I feel employed, but I'm not getting paid for the work that I've had to do. Uh, anyway, we are in for such a treat. We have an amazing, amazing guest today. I'm very, I'm thrilled he's here. I'm so excited for this conversation. I gotta say, he uh, he is an author of the book, Stop Thinking Thoughts That Scare You. Uh, honestly, a perfect book for all of our listeners. Also, he hosts the podcast I'm Here to Help, which you can listen to wherever you get your podcasts. And guess what? I'm on an episode. You can find him at noahshaw.com or at noahshaw26 on Instagram. Guess what? He's also an amazing life coach, a soul cycle instructor, and one of my favorite people, a good friend. Noah, what's up? You're here. Hi. What is up, Anna Reisman? I'm so excited to be here. I'm so happy I'm so to have gl- you. I'm so glad I am alive and available for you and your entertainment. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're alive and available as well. (laughs) Everyone is. I live to make you smile occasionally. You as as the comedian always make everybody smile, but like I like to every once in a while bring a um, little light into your life. Thank you. You always bring light into my life. Hold on. Should should we start out with like how we actually met? Yeah. She came to my, you came to my soul cycle class. I did. Ellen will like this. And I, we started talking. I can't remember. We had Paul Custabile was our mutual friend. Yes. Shout said, out to Paul. You said, shout out to Paul. And you said you were a comedian. And I was like, cool. Get up on the stage and do five minutes of comedy. <laughs> he was like, prove like, it. Prove it. <laughs> and she did it. And she killed it. Sold out I think, I, yeah, I, and I just remember, I like Ellen. I don't know if you have you been to a Soul Cycle class. You know, here's the thing: I, all the studios and Noah, obviously, you know, you're the king of Soul Cycle. They're all very different vibes. I feel like Williamsburg is the only studio I could really like do that. It, like everyone's very chill there. It's different from like you know Flatiron, 19th yeah. Street, the other studios I've been to. Uh, but he was literally like, she wants a bike. I'm not giving her a bike until she does jokes. I'm in like my cute little matching set and I look nothing like a comedian. And I'm like, oh, OK. You <laughs> work killed. For it. Thank you, you killed. Yeah, I made it work for it, Ellen. That's right. But I think you also do that with, uh, like, there was another girl who I remember was in the class a lot, and she rode the bike sometimes, and you had her sing once, and you... Chloe Chloe Lowry. Yes. Sing for her supper, yeah. (laughs) Sing for her supper. But you actually had a show coming up as well, so we promoted that, and we were like, hey, do you catch Anna here and here and here and this stuff? So, you know. It's nice you do that. When Chloe sings, I'm always like, "Hey, download her music." I've had a, I've had a bunch of people who I've like either played their music in class. Our friend Liz. Yeah, she texted and, me know, after. Other... She was like, "Noah's the most amazing person." He played my song in the class. I'm like, "Oh my god, that's so cool." Yeah, it was. It you know, I like to like help people out of like use my stu. I am not king of souls like I'm more like the very very old wizard or the court jester. <laughs> I'm, no I'm, I'm sort of. I'm so. I'm gonna I'm call you between, the Wizard of Soul. <laughs> I'm sort of beat. I'm sort of between wizard and court jester. It's it's sort of a mix of that. Uh, we'll go with we'll go with Gandalf of Souls. Like I gotta be honest though. Once I started going to your class, I didn't go to anybody else's classes. No disrespect, you know. Every instructor has their fans, but I just like your class is such a cool vibe that I was like. Well, I guess I'll go when he's teaching <laughs> only. <laughs> I, I here's I got so like I would take other instructors and um, I hated their music so much mm-hmm. that I just started teaching a class that I would like to ride to. 
mm-hmm. because I couldn't I couldn't go. I went to so many other instructors for so long as a rider, and I was like, God, nothing like nothing sounds good to me. I fucking hate EDM. I me legitimately too. hate EDM. I call it emotionally uh, dysfunctional music or emotionally <laughs> emotionally deficient music because it's not about anything. It's not there's not a song about anything. It's like Black Crows. She talks to angels. Oh, or you can listen to Blue Number Four, which is like. Yeah. Whenever I take those, yeah. If I take those classes, I'm I'm I find myself I'm riding, but I'm like I'm thinking about what I'm gonna eat for dinner. You're like my brain is just yeah. not there. <laughs> you know, I'm planning my whole night and. It's my and, ass hanging out. <laughs> you, know, like, yeah. you think too hard when I'm in a class where I enjoy the music. And anytime I took your class, you always. You always have the hits, even if it's like you'll have some deep cuts, you know, that that some people love more than others know. And then but you always have like some of the hits and it's like then I rock out, then I get into it. You know, that's that's why I play it. I play the music that people like. Yeah, All it's right. the best. Now should we start talking about unemployed, different jobs and stuff? Well, yeah, this but is the, this is the job I've had longer than any other job. I know. I kind of want to know years. while we're talking about SoulCycle, I want to know like how you found it. Cause I know you've had a ton of other jobs and I want to get to, the, I want to get to like teenage Noah, but I'm curious if you want to go with SoulCycle first, like how did you, sure. how did I you fall into this world? Um, <laughs> lo- super long story short, I was, I had been working as a counselor in a rehab in Los Angeles at a place called the 180 Center, uh, one of the most expensive rehabs in the world at that point. It cost you about sixty to eighty thousand dollars to walk in the door wow. per month. Wow! And that's before your horse therapy and your five hundred dollar massages and everything else you need and your food and your. It's the one whatever. where celebrities, a lot of celebrities. Oh, yo, go. celebrities, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Yeah. And you do it. You do a weird thing when you're working as a counselor, or a case manager, um, which is called redirection. So let's say I'm sitting with troubled Anna, and we're sitting outside and the beautiful lush grounds, um, and you're like you're having you're like you're rocking back and forth and you're puffing cigarettes and you're having a bad time. And what a redirection is like, hey Anna, let's go inside and get something to eat. So by like physically moving you, mm-hmm. and getting you out of that location, it'll begin to change your head a little bit. You're not, you don't get just stuck in that rut. Like we all, like everybody can still do that. And on a regular basis, we sit in our bed, we sit in our chair, we sit on our desk, we sit on our couch. Like we get in that rut. If we physically get up and we move, it feels better. And it mm-hmm. starts to change things, even just a little bit. So there's two redirections when you're in rehab. Let's go in and get something to eat. Let's go outside and have a cigarette. What I did by working six, seven days a week, 12 hours a day, was uh, become 300 pounds and smoke four packs of cigarettes a day. Oh, my God. So I went to my doctor to get some prescriptions filled, and he said, all right, good news is not going to hurt a bit. And I said, what's not going to hurt a bit? He said, the heart attack you're about to have. <gasps> you're not going to grab your arm. You're not going to grab your chest. You're going to have a heart attack so massive, you'll be dead before you hit the ground. I love you. It's been great knowing you. You're a great dude, and I'm sorry to see you go. Whoa. I was like, all right. All right. Cool. Doc. Yeah. What? That's some tough. That was kind of fucking. That's that the toughest love. Weird, but, <laughs> all right. Thanks for my prescriptions that I won't use all of in the next 30 days. And through a series of events, I knew what SoulCycle was. And I went out to buy underwear and I took up and took an escalator and it, it stopped in Hollywood uh, the like th- two hours after SoulCycle West Hollywood had opened up. And I walked in and I took a class. Um, I was... I, the owners were like knew who I was because I had sent 
one of the original instructors to New York to get her out of LA so she didn't die because she was a crackhead and a meth head. Oh god! So they knew they knew who I was, and they're like, "Oh, are you gonna come ride?" I was like, "Sure, look at me. I'm fucking." I'm huffing, sweating profusely from riding the escalator. That's how, like, out of shape I was. <laughs> and then you're going into a soul cycle class. And I walk into a soul cycle. So, out of courtesy, and this, I always love saying this because when people tell me, like, I don't know if I can do soul cycle, I'm like, well, I was 300 pounds, and the doctor told me I was going to die. So, the setup for the studio in West Hollywood, there's two doors. One's closer, like, to the front door. It's like a front door, and there's a secondary door, which has an aisle. And I picked the bike in the front row on the corner of that aisle closest to the door. So, here was why. <laughs> so that when I died during class, they could just carry me out and then continue the class. Stop. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have, in my mind, they wouldn't have to, like, stop the class, climb <laughs> over a bunch of bikes, pull me off the back row. You, like, uh, that was how you picked off. your bike. <laughs> That's how I picked my bike. That's legitimately how I picked my bike. Oh, my God. So, and then I just started riding, and I've been through a lot of dangerous stuff. I've tried to commit suicide three times. I've been shot at. I've been stabbed. I've had people try to kill me. I've had contracts on my life, and I was in this class, and I was just riding, and I'm like, really? Really, motherfucker? After all of that, you're going to die from Sausage Day Big Buffets? <laughs> Like Diet Coke Stop. and like triple two double sausage egg McMuffins with two hash browns like constantly every morning. No, it's gonna be yeah, like here he lies. Yeah, he he uh, tapped back too hard today. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he yeah. Back. Oh my god. So yeah, there I there I. But I, you liked I, I it. I loved it. I got really just like I got. I found this like power in it. I was like, okay, I'm not dying mm -hmm. from 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 overeating. I'll die from trying. Like, I'll die in the class. I'm cool with that. But I'm not <laughs> gonna die from just like doing nothing. Yeah. I want to die on my couch. So I was like, all right, let's go for it. Come on, God. I'll fucking dare you. Dare you to kill me during this. And I lost a little over 100 pounds in a little over 90 days. Holy and shit, that's fast. Yeah, I was just changed everything. And they were like, do you want to be a soul cycle instructor? And I was like, let me get this right. Like a hundred days ago, I was told by my doctor, I was going to die from just being so right. fat and disgusting. And now you're asking me to be a fitness instructor. Hmm. Like, I love it. about odd, weird jobs. Like, did I ever think that I would ever be a fitness instructor? But you're the best. And I love that. <laughs> I hope that you like email, like when they, you know, you took, they always take like, I don't know, Ellen, do you know the Soul Cycle website? Like all the instructors, you have like these model shots, right? They take these black and white photos and everyone's like hot and cool. And I hope, yeah, they're all like in like, you know, they're like straddling the bike and they're like, come to Soul Cycle. Oil, yeah. oil, oil they're all oiled up too. And I imagine, I just hope you were like, I'm just going to link, I'm going to link my profile and just send it to that doctor and be like, I'll see you Tuesday. 5 p.m. <laughs> I, I went. I went back to him. He was super happy for me. That's so great. I lost all the weight because he was my doctor for like a few more months, and I kept having to get refills. He's like, "My God, I never thought you'd actually get your shit together." And I'm like, "He's oh, I'm so thankful that you did." Wow. I and said goodbye before I moved back to New York. I was gonna say, did you? How long were you teaching before you moved back? Uh, I moved back to train. Mm. The idea was come back, start training, and then teach in New York for a year. And then go back to L.A. And I came home and I just stayed. Because this is where I'm from. And I've been gone for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. Having weird having weird jobs. <laughs> well, I'm glad yeah, yeah. that you still teach SoulCycle. Because that's how we met. And I found it 
eight years ago, nine years, eight years ago when I, my ex-boyfriend and I broke up and my friend was like, come try Soul Cycle. Like not because of the breakup or just, you know, come to a Soul Cycle class. And I didn't like gyms and I went and I fell in love. And it honestly got me through like the hardest time in my life. Like I would go like three, four times a week. And I was just like, I felt better, you know, like spiritually, physically, everything like worked. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm a believer. And people who make fun of it have never gone and never gone to like a class that like changes them. That's what I always say. Because, you know, there's people who make I, fun of it. Of course. You're people selling make me fun on of it. everything. For Ellen, sure. you're fucking coming. You're <laughs> I'm going to bring Ellen to your class. <laughs> you guys are both come this week as my guests. Just come. That's the other. Please. Noah's good. He'll guest you in. He guests in the family, you know? He's good. Yeah. You guys just come ride as my guests. It'll be it all good. really good. I got you. <laughs> I love it. Ellen. Ellen's going to end up working at SoulCycle Corporate. <laughs> 90 days. You're like, God damn it. You should go produce yeah. their lives, Ellen. You should. She's, oh, she's a live producer. God. Are they doing oh, that still, God. by the way? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They are. Like yeah. the. Everybody, everybody but me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, they won't let me do it because they need the pretty people to teach their lives. That's bullshit. Yes. Don't worry. I don't give a fuck. I really don't. Well, you do plenty of other care. things. You do. And you have yeah. your following. You have, you know. I'm good with it. It's yeah. just me being catty. <laughs> it's all I'm good. Fucking, I'm a bitch. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, I mean, like, I can. I'm sorry. I, I can bitch. I love to bitch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It was just yeah. between, just between, like, you and I. I'm not actually bitching about anything. I'm just being like, and eh, ran, ran, ran. I got you. I got you. You, you know, didn't straddle snark, the bike hard enough. Snarky. Maybe if you straddled yeah. that bike, you know, they'd be like, get that guy. Maybe, maybe if I, maybe if I straddled that salad bar instead of the pizza. <laughs> Oh, my God. All right. So I want to take it back because I know some of your jobs. I know some of your career moves. Uh, I want to take it back to like teenage you growing up on the East Coast. Like, what did you want to do when you were younger? When you were a kid? Drugs and alcohol. And I don't <laughs> say that jokingly. I love both of those. And I, I dealt my fir- I did my first drug transaction when I was 10. I think it's in the book. Um, I had a friend, Sean Murphy, and he had a sister who was like 13. And she's like, Noah, you know, you know, we grew up in one of these, I was in, we were in Connecticut. We left New York, New Jersey. We went to like central Connecticut. He's a Jew and, from who lived in Connecticut. And I love how yeah. hard, hardcore you are. You're like drugs. <laughs> yeah. I'm also, in, I'm also a New York, like little tiny part of me is an Italian that like was, I was raised by like Italians and Italian little blood, little tiny little droplet of blood, but like the essence of everything Italian is how I was raised. Mm-hmm. You know, I still, I still cross myself when I'm like looking for luck. Um, but like when I'm like, Oh my God, I hope that works out. And I do the sign of the cross because <laughs> that's just ingrained in me from such a young age. I did it once um, for a play and they were like, you're doing it wrong. And I was like, yeah. Oh, I just saw it in movies. <laughs> how do you do it? <laughs> like, they were like, it's like in so, a script. Anna, here, here you go. You ready? Spectacles testicles watch and wallet <laughs> thank you okay so that, i was 10 and my friend's go. older sister who was like 13 was like noah can you bring this little bag or this little it was like a rolled up little like sandwich bag like with a little bit of weed in it can you bring this up to the carp's house and i was like sure he's like they're gonna give you like 10 bucks you can just bring it back here i was like sure such it in my pocket <laughs> like walked up over like, here's your here's your bag no idea what I was doing, but oh, apparently no. that was my first drug deal. <laughs> like, 
1970. There was like that 70s show, but I was like the younger brother. Okay. You know, I was like the, I was like the little kid in the neighborhood who like wanted to hang out with everybody. <laughs> so that's kind of your first job. So it sounds easy. Yeah, it was my first job. She she got me high for it. So wow. we'll work for drug. We'll work for drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my mantra for. Why could they were like years. he's young and cute? Let's just like let him do it. And I was also reckless. I was like, I would try anything. I would do anything. I was also like, you know, there was a lot of it was like, if we want to like get dark and psychologically or we want to keep it lighthearted. It was fun. Get as dark as you want. Fun. We don't care. We talk about oh, everything low, here. Low self-esteem, low self-worth, fucking new kid all the time. And, mm. you know, you just want to earn everybody's approval. You want the older kids to think you're fucking cool. Yeah. So it's like, here, let's give the older, young, let's give the 10-year-old cocaine. Let's give him acid. Let's give them weed. Let's give them mescaline, mushrooms. Like, they tried everything on me. I was like a weird voodoo doll for them. Like, let's see what happens if this, if we give him this. And it's like, well, he will break when he's in his 50s, but um, we oh won't be God. around to see it. So, no. So, yeah, that's, I tried everything. Wow. So, that's when I started smoking, everything. Okay. That was, so, that, I guess that was my first job, Ellen. Thank you for pointing that out. Yep, I guess um, so. <laughs> so, and then I started, and then I got a little older. And I realized that I could sell drugs. Mm-hmm. Right before I started heavily selling drugs, we had moved to, it was, I was 15, we had moved to Chapin Point in Stamford, Connecticut. Okay. If you don't know it, Chapin Point is a little peninsula, which in the nineteen early 1900s was like, it was the Hamptons before there was the Hamptons, was this little peninsula. And all of the mega rich built these huge, fucking mansions like 10 11 bedroom eight bedroom 10 nine bedroom like these huge homes like right on the long island sound on this peninsula wow and it's stunning and we had really like come up my father got that job that like we're not middle class anymore like we're fucking upper class Mm -hmm. and every weekend during the summer we used to go to to this place called mckenzie's by the sea it was this lobster shack you know steamers very New Yum. England, lobsters, steamers, oysters, you know, whatever you wanted. Corn in the cob, it's basically everything on the table. And he grabbed me after school one day and he drove me down and he goes, and Mac came out. And Mackenzie, I can't remember, it was Tom, Bob, he was just Mac. Okay. He was like, but he was, he was this huge fucking guy. He was like 6'6", <laughs> with this massive beer gut. And he goes... I get out of the car and he goes, dad says you're going to start working for me. I'm like, what? My father goes, yeah, you start tonight and just drives away. Wait, what? I was, 15, I was, 15, I was 15 years old. <gasps> I, just, I just turned 15 years old. And I was like, okay, great. He's like, come on in. He puts his big arm around me. <laughs> and you're like, I'm smoking. He's smoking. I love this I parenting style that your parents were like, yeah, we're just not going to tell him. We're going to get him a job. We're just yeah, going to drop yeah. him off. He, dad's like, jump in the car. I was like, <laughs> it was like. It was like bringing your dog to the wild and just <laughs> yeah, setting him free. Letting him go. And, yeah, letting go. You didn't Where's even drive. Noah? Where's Noah? He's at a farm upstate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Mac walks me in. He's like, hey, everybody, this is Noah. Everybody's like, hey, Noah. Like, they could give two shits. It's sort of like Caddyshack. <laughs> it's like this big group of, like, drunken mostly irish it was a very irish neighborhood Mm -hmm. and just everybody was like a little bit older than me 16 to 18 to 20 you know 22 drinking age was 18 so it was like everybody was had to be super old to work there (laughs) 
And everybody just was like from the neighborhood. I knew him like 99% of the people there mm-hmm. were like a couple of older dudes. I was like, who's he? You know, but he's like the bartender. Um, <laughs> and he walks me in back and we go all the way back and go walk, walk through this huge fucking place. He was like, they could seat like three, 400 people during the season. You know, all outside and a little inside. And then he walks me deep in the back of the kitchen. And my boy Kevin is back there. And Kev's like, no, what's up? And I go, I don't know. I, apparently I'm work here now. He goes, oh, you're going to work with me? Max like, yeah, show him the ropes, Kevin. And Kevin was like just scrubbing pots. Oh. And I'm like, I'm, he put, gives me an apron. And I'm got like jeans, just jeans and a t-shirt on. And he gives me an apron. He goes, cool. I go, what do we do, Kevin? He goes, we scrub pots and we kill rats. Oh. And I was like. Because this is the seaside. This is on the water. Right. And the rats the rats were size of cats. They oh. were massive. Because they'd been feeding on like seagulls and like fish and all the shit that came out of this restaurant. They were like <laughs> yep. big, healthy, rodent, like dinosaur. And we had this uh it was a pipe, it was a metal pipe with a little hook on the end of it, a little screw cap on the end of it. And you would swing that. And try and kill the rat. We'd just scream rat, or somebody would scream rat. And in the kitchen, we would run over there and just try and like try to club it to death and chase <laughs> oh, it around. They'd be like they, the guys would be like, "It's over here now." We'd run over there, and one of us would scrub pots, and the other one would kill rats. Two teenagers or, or, just in your big aprons, just oh. trying to <laughs> kill a rat. And and then like I'm there for like 20 minutes, and then Kevin's like, "Oh, you want a beer?" And I'm like, "What?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, we get free beer when we work here all night." I'm like, "This is Evan. I kill rats." <laughs> And I get free beer all night, and I'm 15 fucking years old. This is wonderful. 14 and a half, but I'm 14 and a half. It was genius. Like, they just fed us beer, and sometimes they'd come back with shots. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. Getting trashed with my friend Kevin. We're killing rats. I'm scrubbing pots. There were dishwashers that were above us. Yeah. Like, we weren't even above us. Yeah, there were two guys who were dishwashers. You're like the interns of dishwashers. We were the pot scrubbers. The pot scrubbers. Uh, eventually, eventually became a dishwasher, then became a barback, then became a line cook, a grill cook, a lobster cook. Wow! And then also then a bartender. I learned every job. I did every job there, except for waitering, and that was like a next job after that. But like, did your dad learned, know I you were him. having fun? Like, he didn't give a shit. My father was so busy with work. Yeah. He was like just working like nonstop. He wasn't like, hey, you having a good time at work? What did he, he do? There. He At that point, he was running the East Coast for the LA Times company, Times Mirror Corporation, wow. which involved radio, TV, and newspapers. So, yeah, but he was focusing mainly on the newspapers at that point. Wow. Yeah. He was a, he was a big muff. How big long were you, did you work at McKenzie's? <laughs> it sounds fun. For a se- for like a, a season, mm-hmm. it was like a, it was a, it was a late summer. It was like, but it just, you know, it just it was just too much fun to not do that. Mm-hmm. But like slightly after that, I guess my second semester of my freshman year is when I discovered dealing cocaine. Okay, of college, so of high school. Oh, high school. Oh, I'm still 15. Oh my god. Yeah, and then I started that that year into that next summer. Um, I really began dealing large amounts of cocaine and at Studio 54, um, you know, and all over the place and dealing huge amounts with my friend, who will remain nameless, who was nameless in my book. But I, I really just sort of transitioned very quickly into like large scale drug dealing because I love the money. I love the pace. I love the scariness of it. I got a rush off the, it was just fine. I was also, I was going to say, did you have like, 
like people who bought in like this rich area in Connecticut and stuff? Like I imagine. Oh, my whole my whole high school. Yeah. Like I don't, you know, somebody wrote in my yearbook, and my great regret is losing my yearbook. <laughs> but she, her girl named Jan Kaltman, otherwise known as Thank You, which I can tell you off the air or on the air, I don't care what you say. Um, but she took my yearbook and turned it sideways and wrote to Noah. The best fucking cocaine cocaine dealer I've ever met. This was, your shit is always awesome. You're always the best. You always came through. You had the best parties. Your coke fucking rocks. Can't wait to snort many lines with you in the future. And big black sharpie. <laughs> and so after she did that, I like I can't remember. I went home at some point that night. I was sitting at dinner, and I guess I my mother had been like, "Oh, where's your yearbook?" And was like looking through it. And I remember my father going, "Let me see it." And he and I just remember him going like this. And just oh, no. reading it, not smart, and putting it down, and just handing, just handing it to me, and going like, "Glad everything's going so well for you," and just like kept eating. That was it. Were your parents like? Did they party, or were they very straight edge? Oh, they weren't straight edge, but they they just drank like normal, you know, parents. They had a little wine, they drank. My mother tells a funny story. It's not. It's a very short story, but when the '60s, you know, she was a, a beatnik. My mom was a beatnik in mm-hmm. the early six, late '50s and early '60s in New York City in a village, and they had they they'd gotten married. Uh, I wasn't. I don't think I was born yet. And no, I was born because they were. I guess it must have been about a year old or something. Still a baby. And a friend of theirs, Jay um, Moore, who worked in Broadway, who was like one of the biggest set designers in Broadway at that point. He got some marijuana. <laughs> She tells the story about how she, they didn't have anything to put it in, so they used toilet paper to roll it up, tissue paper or something. And she said, I always remember, I put a load of laundry in, and then we went outside and smoked it. She goes, I don't know if I was high, I just know that I didn't really care about the laundry that much. And I was like, that's weed. That's just weed. Oh, I love that. That's great. Whereas I've told you I had the parents who were like, why haven't you tried weed yet? You're like 17. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean? We're, we're, we're having an orgy tomorrow. You should totally come. My parents great. had a Halloween yeah. party every year, and they'd ship all my siblings and me to my grandparents. But we'd have to make the glittered signs that said, like, no smoking in here, like, no drugs or something in yeah. this room. And like <laughs> That was your room. Yeah. And you're like... There shouldn't be any drugs in my room ever. My mom would be like, here, I got I got orange and black glitter. You guys want to make some poster boards? And we were like, yeah. And then she's like, all right, here's what you got to write. <laughs> <We're> like, <"What?" laughs> I love that. Acid. Acid this way. <laughs> Literally. My parents had a, a ro- loft in their bedroom. Uh, there was like a little spiral staircase to like a, a loft. And the loft yep. was off limits for children. Uh, of course. So, you know, that because they, they said that's where they hide the Hanukkah presents. And we were like, we'd send my sister up there and be like, go, go, go see what's really up there. <laughs> there were a lot of drugs and shit <laughs> that they did. Yeah. But, it's uh, cute. Cute. Yeah. It's, cute. It, but it, they, they tried. They tried. Cute they until tried. it, you know, it came to a halt, yeah. uh, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Because everything is, yeah. I was cute for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Until it came to a grinding halt. Yeah. So okay. So you're you're making you were right. making a lot of money in high school then. I I made probably more money between the ages of like six sixteen and twenty than I've made from twenty to fifty seven. 
bitch. <laughs> yeah. No well, there way. Was, there was there was one period. <laughs> there was one period. There was a three year period when I was dealing weed in L.A. that I made a ton of money as well. But like, yeah, I've made huge amounts of money. Blew wow. it all. Blew it all. Couldn't spend it fast enough. D- you went to college, money. right? I did. I escaped for a year. I went down to a Texas. I went to college in Texas. Okay. Because there was con- there was contracts out of my life, so I ran away. And this is before internet or anybody could find you or anything. So I oh my God. legitimately ran away to Texas. Um, <laughs> while in Texas, I had a great job. I was a cowboy at the Bar W Ranch in Uvalde, Texas. Wow. Always, always wanted to be a cowboy. Dreamt of it. Have a cowboy tattoo on my forearm. Love it. And you got to be and, one. Uh, and I got to be one because I was in court for stealing books from the cafeteria and selling them, trying to sell them back to the bookstore. <laughs> Because I was because I was out of money for a little while, I was in a little dry spell, and there was a kid sitting on the bench next to me, and he said, "Is that your lawyer?" And I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "Don't we live in the same dorm?" And I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "What are you here for?" And I was like, "Stealing books." And he's like, "I'm like, what are you here for?" And I can't remember. He said like drunk and disorderly or something like that. And I was like, "Well, what are you doing after this?" He goes, "I want to go get a drink." I'm like, "Oh, well, I want to get a drink." He's like, well, "As soon as both of our cases were dismissed because we had good lawyers and the same lawyer, um, we became like besties." <laughs> and we went, we terrorized Texas for a year. But his family had a huge ranch in West Texas. Wow. And he was like, oh, you want to come out to the ranch? I was like, oh, my God, yes, that's my dream. And he was a cowboy. Like, he grew up on a ranch, like, roping horses and cattle and shit like that. And he taught me all that shit. It was I, meant to a, be. Yeah, it was amazing. It was great. We only got arrested one more time after that. <laughs> for um, what? Uh, we, we stole a couple we, of horses and rode them into went, town. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little there's a little game you play in Texas called back in the day. Now I'm sure they don't do it anymore. It's called Yahoo and Beer. So you go into a seven eleven okay. and you grab a bunch of beer out of the fridge and then you yell Yahoo and then you run out to the truck and jump in and drive away. <laughs> so we were shit faced and we did that a few times, different seven elevens. The back and seat of his Volkswagen thing was filled with booze. Then we went to a bar, Tommy accidentally tore the urinals off the wall so we flooded the bar and we ran out of there we did a bunch of other shenanigans and then as we were getting on the highway the cops started to pull us over and we both jumped out of the truck and then ran over to this huge fucking fence how i got over this fence as drunk and fucked up as i was to this day i'll never know but i escaped (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tommy got caught. I escaped, and I woke up the next morning in my dorm room to the police banging, like, opening my door and just dragging me out of there in like a pair of shorts. Oh my god! And they threw, they threw Tommy and I in this little like jail cell with like ten Mexican guys who just took turns beating us up for two days. Oh no! And then and then then Tommy's badass grandfather rolled into town and just walked in. He's like, "Y'all feel better now? You all hung over and beat up?" And we were like, he was, he was literally like something out of like Yellowstone or like some like Western. He was like Sam Elliott sort of looking motherfucker, big tall. And he was just like, get him out of there. And we just, they picked us up and brought him out and put us in his car. Holy shit. Drove us, drove us back to school. and was like, stop doing stupid shit. I was like, oh, okay. Yes, sir. All your so. stories, you know, we should animate this. I, I picture you and your friend bopping around 7-Elevens and you're like, let's steal a bunch of beer and yell what? Yeah. Yahoo! Fucking drive Running out. One of us would drive the car. One of us would yell at the beer. Then the next one we'd switch. We uh, they're like the Tom and Jerry. Reason, <laughs> for some reason, we have this is this is when you're drunk and you have really good ideas. We're like, let's grab all the laundry out of the laundromat. 
So we did that and we loaded his car with laundry and we were like running, we we're driving around just throwing jeans and t-shirts and bras. And like we're just throwing clothing everywhere. Like, you know, it makes sense. So badass. And then, and then like, yeah, we're such badasses. But then, then we ended up on a ranch with guns and knives and boots and horses. And you get pulled over. And, they're like, is that downy? What the hell is that yeah. smell? It smells really yeah. good in here. You guys are super fresh. <laughs> and, there's no static either. Oh my god! Yeah. All Very right. Clean. So you you hung out with this guy. You were tore up Texas for a while. What was your next move? Because obviously you didn't stay there very long, right? Um. Yeah. No. I, I I was there. I was there for a while, for a year and a half or so. Got real. Uh. Got real dark and drugs and alcohol. Went running back to the East Coast. My parents went back. Tried to commit suicide. Went back to Texas. Literally, like, woke up in a hotel, in a hospital room. My father just gave me, like, $4,000 or $5,000 and a plane ticket to Texas. I was like, I don't know what to do with you. <gasps> and I was like, I'll, I'll get your car to the airport. So I went back to Texas, got all fucked up again, came running back. Did they the want you to get went. sober at this point? Were they, like... No, they, I hadn't. No, there was no sobriety there yet. But on the next time I came home, mm-hmm. um, I, they, I was like, I need to go to rehab. And they put me in a place. And I was like, this is not a cool rehab. So I escaped from that place oh, no. after three days, <laughs> went on a week run, and then I actually went to another rehab, which I got kicked out of like 90 days later, but it was super fancy. You went to the like fancy my, ones. My big, my biggest job, my best job for the longest time was just being fucking trouble. <laughs> Everywhere I went, everybody. I mean, it sounds like you treated it like a job. You were like, well, here's what oh, I, yeah, I do I worked today. hard. This is what I do. This is what I do. I get fucked up and I fuck shit up. Oh my god! I don't god. hurt. I don't hurt people. Like you know, that was a lot of violence when I was younger. But at this point, I was like, sort of out of out of that violent lifestyle. But like, yeah, like it was my job to get fucked up. I think that's you know that's a sort of new good definition of alcoholism. It's like it was my job to get fucked up. Like I had to show up every morning to my life with a bottle of fucking bourbon and an eight ball of coke, or nothing was going to get done that day. Damn. It is a good analogy. Like, you know, for people who are, like, struggling and stuff, it's like, <laughs> you know, quit your job yeah. and be free. Wow. I was also a terrible boss. I did not treat me very well. <laughs> no, no lunch no lunch breaks for months. Oh, no. Just, just cocaine. Oh, God. Cocaine and alcohol. Um, wow. Okay, so the second time you went, that's when you started to get sober? Is that what you said? Or, like... Nah, not really. When I met it you, you ye- told me I it was- took years. It took, it took years. years. It yeah. took like twelve rehabs till I actually took it seriously. Wow. I mean, and then you worked you know, in one. Hold on, I do want to go back because I had an amazing job when I was fifteen. At the same time, in Mackenzie's, the next summer, for a very short amount of time, for just the summer, I had a job in Stamford, Connecticut, as an undercover detective for Bloomingdale's. No. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I was just I was just supposed to look like a normal kid hanging out at the at the at the Bloomingdale's and I would bust I would bust other people for stealing shit. But the thing is the guy I was working for this older dude and um Ernie and Ernie had like the whole place gamed out. He's like, All right, listen, we like smoke you like smoke weed? I'm like, Yeah. And like, you like to party? I'm like, Yeah. He's like, All right, this is what we do. This is how our day goes in the morning. Like, you'll be on the floor. I'm going to be upstairs. I'm going to take a little nap. 
because that's where the bedding is. They got to they got this bed set up in the back. He can later, nap at Bloomingdale's. He's in the like storeroom, like hiding on a on a like a priceless bed on like you know a Cali King bed <laughs> with like sheets, full sheets, everything. Um, and then he's like, "Yo, in the middle of the day, we, you know, get some forties. We'll bring my, I'll bring him up there in my lunch bag, and we'll drink we'll drink some beers and shit like that. And we'll smoke some weed, go back down on the floor a little bit. You can take a nap if you want. I'll take a nap. Like we switch off, and um, that was awesome. <laughs> Who that knew? That was awesome. Who knew? Ernie Blooming was also deals. like, Ernie was also like, yo. Also, I got the keys to the jewelry, <laughs> and like, if you need anything for a girl or something like that, you need a necklace, a brooch, something like that, a new watch. He goes, I got the end, so we can just take stuff after we lock up. When everybody's gone, we just go up there and decide what you want. I was like, bet. But we also did some like <laughs> crime fighting when these guys would come in and they'd grab like it was when jeans were like the really popular and they'd try to grab a rack of a whole rack of jeans and run and we would chase them like Starsky and Hutch style like <laughs> through the streets of Stanford, Connecticut, which was pretty still pretty ghetto at that point, except for the Bloomingdale's. And like we chase them into this crack hotel and shit like that. We'd take them down and we both had cuffs and it was like super fun. We'd be like, Yeah, high five and then shit, the cops would show up and then um, so then we go back to Bloomingdale's, take a nap, and steal some stuff. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. Was this another year? job that your dad just was like, "I'm gonna leave him at the mall today"? Yeah. I don't know. My father, my father <laughs> knew the fucking knew the owner. He was like, "He got, I got you a job." I'm like, "Great!" And then the crazy thing was, like a year later, my father calls me up. He's like, "Remember the guy Ernie?" And I'm like, "Ernie from Bloomingdale's?" He's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Yeah." love Ernie. He goes, wow, Ernie got busted last night, big time. <gasps> Apparently, Ernie had been betting with the mob, and he'd been letting the mob roll up with trucks at night to Bloomingdale's and take whatever the hell they wanted. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Ernie. Ernie went to prison. Oh, Ernie shit. went to prison. Yeah. Wow. So Ernie, you got out Ernie after that, that gene wreck. Yeah. Before the, before the caper really went down, I got lucky. I love so that he, like, he felt you out. He's like, do you like to smoke weed? Because yeah. I'm going to oh, nap. <laughs> I had this afro. I had this massive afro. <laughs> I was a wa- I should have just worn a shirt that says, I smoke weed often. <laughs> like, I was just, I was that guy, you know? And I was, I would hang around with black guys way more than white people, you know, because my school was like this integrated school. So it was like, I knew all the dudes from the worst part of town. <laughs> and I was a drug dealer. And, you know, I just, I, I loved weed. I still love weed. I can't smoke it, but weed's amazing. I always say, so, though, like, and I say it a lot on this podcast, like, interviews and shit, like, you know, your level of, you know, your experience matters a little bit, but people want to hang out. They want to like you. They want to hang out with you whenever you get a yeah. job. Like, they want to make sure, yeah. like, we're cool. Oh, yeah. We can spend time together. You Are know. you cool? Are yeah. you cool? Are we, can, we, can we talk shit about the boss? Right. Can we do that? That's yeah, all they like, want. That's, that's what they want. They want somebody who's cool because they're going to spend all this fucking time with you. <laughs> you know, when I've hired people, I don't hire people like I've had. I, okay, so I opened. We'll just jump ahead until I designed, built, opened and operated a live music club for Aerosmith in Boston. 2000 capacity live music club. Now, when for you the put Aerosmith. at the Aerosmith in Boston behind fucking Fenway Park, Wicked Pistol. And when I you, lived there. When you when you put an ad in the paper that says like, we're opening Mamakin, we're looking for every position available and 20,000 people show up to fill out applications. Yeah. Insane. And I have to, and I have to interview like 5,000 of them, like 15,000 were called before they got to me. But like over a three day period, I was doing like these rapid interviews with people 
And like some people would just like they'd be super qualified, but they would suck. Right. Just at life. I'd be like, you're weird looking <laughs> or you're goofy or your breath sinks or you got weird. You're got you're wearing weird outfits. I don't want to look at your weird outfits all the time. <laughs> I don't care how professional a bartender you are. Right. Like it was just, you know, I just called people out because you like, who do you want to spend time with? Yeah. Who do you want to drive you with? Know? And I'm sure every time I was hired, it's because like this guy's going to party. <laughs> <laughs> like we are. This guy's gonna get wrecked. Let's hire him for sure. Well, it sounds like so far your jobs are like they're not like. Have you ever worked at a restaurant before? Have you ever worked? Ever? They're like, yo, are you? Can you? Do you want to be here later? <laughs> You're yeah. like, yeah. You cool? <laughs> do you, I know it's an interview, but can we drink? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> Would you like some? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I've done I've done some jobs that were like I was a pipe fitter in Texas at one point where you had to like, you're dealing with these high grade uh, gas pipes for houses and construction things. And I'm the guy that like would, would Brit would create the pipes, the red, the rivets and screws on the end of these pipes. And this is an exacting job. I mean, cause you're dealing with gasoline. Right. Yeah. And, and, a, and a liquid gas form or, or many other uh, things. And that would go through these pipes, like oil and things like that. And they had to be really precise. And to say I was drunk every day would be an understatement. Because <laughs> we would drive to the 7-Eleven in the morning, get a breakfast burrito and a fucking case of beer. And we'd put, we put, they had these, Coors had these boxes where you could just put the ice in the box. Mm -hmm. And we would just be, you know, and how we'd drink a six pack each before, before lunch. Oh my God. You know? And along with shots and joints and fucking uppers and like, you know, speed and bath, you know, bathtub speed. And so it's like, you know, but this was exacting work, you know? So it's like, you know, you wouldn't want to make a mistake. I wonder how many houses blew up. Oh my because God. Of the work, because of the work we did. <laughs> Stop. Uh, yeah. You're going to bed talking. at night. You're like, what a nice day. And someone's house yeah. is like blowing up three miles away. <laughs> yeah. So I never hired those guys. Uh. They look like, they look like incorrigibles. Oh no. Oh my God. So I want to, I want to get some of the hits cause you mentioned Boston. I know you're in Boston and then yeah. you were in LA. So LA, what are some of the jobs you had before I met you? <laughs> oh God. I've been a store detective. I've been a drug dealer. I've run restaurants and nightclubs. I've done every job you can at a restaurant and nightclub from rat killer to sous chef to, um, can you cook now? I, are you, can you cook now? I'm, I'm okay. I don't, I don't really have to, but yeah, I could. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I can cook anything on DoorDash, uh, or Grubhub or seamless. <laughs> um, I cook, I cook, I don't, I have a stove, but I don't really cook, but I could, if I wanted to, at some point I want to get back into cooking. Cause I really did love those days. Yeah. Um, you know, you know what I really love to make is a big salad. Mm. I know that sounds like so trade, but I fucking love salad. Like big chef salad with like meats and I make a lot of salads. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love salad, but uh, yeah, I can cook. I can cook a lot of Italian stuff. Nice. Like you know, I'm good with like making big ziti. I'm, my meatballs are amazing. Um, that sort of stuff. Gotcha. Uh, what else have I done? I have so well, have so many you also jobs. told me, didn't you? At some point, you were doing comedy, weren't you? I did. I moved to LA to do stand-up comedy. Yeah. I can't remember the guy's name, but he was the guy, one of the uh, original owners of one of the comedy clubs here, and he was teaching comedy out there. 
Okay. And I, I moved out there. I moved out there with my girlfriend to like do comedy. And she was going along for the ride and she was going to find a job. And I ended up like, I just couldn't, I did all the comedy and stuff and I had the girlfriend and we had two dogs. We had this beautiful life. And I was like, I'm just not ready to go on the road 320 days of the year. Right. So I let it, I let it slide. And that and is like, like you know, we didn't have TikTok. You made your money going on the road yeah. as a yeah. As that a comic. was it. That was all you could do. Right. That's all you could do. You had still pretty much as a comic, you have to be on the road. Right. I mean, I've sold COVID, and these guys, you know, that's what you've done. That's what comedy's always been. It's about being in front of the audience. Um, and I just wasn't willing to leave her. But um, funnily enough, she was easy, uh, willing, totally willing to leave me, and ended up with a huge job in Hollywood. Oh God! Um, making millions of dollars and then marrying a billionaire, and uh, Jesus. so she's good. Yeah. yeah, wow. We're still like we're still like Instagram friends, and she's like, she's like had this incredible life and was like the youngest vice president of marketing in the history of Universal Pictures. Holy shit! And and the and the only woman, but like the and the youngest person. But I love um, that you brought so, yeah. her, you brought her there though because yeah, you were like, let's there. go to L.A. I want to do stand up comedy. I want to stand up comedy, and she she found fame and fortune. Jeez. And I remember on the first night we landed, the first day we, we drove across country, and the first night we were there, we were in Toluca Lake, and she was like, what am I going to do here? I don't want to be here. And she's crying. I'm holding her. I'm like, babe, it's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of us. It's going to work out. We got this. I got you. Don't worry about it. And she's like, oh, it all worked out. I'm leaving. Bye. <laughs> um, so, but God bless her. She's happy, and she's got bunch of kids and a guy that's good guy she loves she's friends with the obamas so good for her it's all good okay wonderful. yeah yeah <laughs> that her, nice. her 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 in-laws were the very first people they're from chicago they're greek they were in catering air quotes um and i hope she never hears this but um <laughs> we're pitching to universal um, next week so her oh, no. <laughs> her her uh her parent, her in-laws were some of the first people to ever give Barack Obama money when he was a community organizer. Wow. So, and her brother-in-law, Alexi, is like besties with Barack, like legitimately besties, best friends with Barack. Hmm. Barack. That's awesome. Although, although when, are you, when I say bestie, what do you think, Anna? Friends. Like, best friends, right? Yeah. Best friends. Ellen? Yeah. Same thing? So... Some, is it? Was, is there a new term? I was term? driving home. I was. I was. I, there's this teenager. She rides at Soul Cycle. She's like a little niece to me. I give her rides back and forth to Soul Cycle. I got her job at Soul Cycle, and I was driving through McDonald's drive-in before I dropped her off the other day, getting my dinner. And I was like, "Yo, this girl likes me in the in the window." She goes, "Oh, are you guys besties?" And I was like, "No, she's just like the girl at McDonald's drive-through that always gives me like that look. <laughs> like I know she's like." Oh, white boy in a nice Mercedes. I'm like, you know, he's cute. And he does, he's cute for a super older dude. And she's like, so you're besties. I'm like, no, she's not my best friend. She goes, that's not what besties means. Besties has many meanings. I was like, this is fucking me up. You can't take a word <laughs> that I barely understand and I shouldn't be using already and then give it a second sexual meaning. Wow. Now I'm very confused. No, I think bestie to uh, like the Gen, you know, Zers is like, is like anyone like you walk in a room you're like yeah. hey besties like even if it's yeah, your class yeah. it's yeah. not you don't have yeah. to be best friends whereas anna, we think if, of it as best mm -hmm. friends if somebody like if somebody was like anna do you know anna reisman i'd be like oh anna's my bestie like i love anna yeah but yeah. we're not having sex as far as i know <laughs> no no i never thought but, of it that yeah. way 
No, yeah, I know it's weird, but the new generation they fucked it up. It's a perfectly good word. It's like and they added sex to it. It's like my mom used to always say, like, "Are you hook? Like, you should hook up with this Noah's in town. You guys should hook up." And we would be like, yeah. "Ew, mom! Ew. Like, <laughs> we're not Gross. hooking up." And she'd be like, "What?" <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. Or she'd be I'd like, my, "I gotta I'd go buy hook my up Coke with Karen down the street." And we're like, "Mom, gross!" <laughs> mom, gross. Mom, I only buy my Coke from Noah. I don't hook up with him. <laughs> oh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Does he want to hook up with me? No, Mom. He doesn't want to hook you up. No, but I bet you my mom, she likes to brag that she went to Studio 54 in the day. Maybe you crossed paths at Maybe some Maybe you were point. there at the same time. If she did, if she did, if she did No, he's younger. There, oh, my God. Am I your dad? <laughs> um <laughs> No, but my sister is convinced that my dad is actually uh, this man, this dentist in Colorado. Uh, who knows? My mom's a dentist. She went to dental school, and it was it was a very fast marriage. Have Anna, you know, six months to a year there, and my sister's like, "Yo, I met your dad," and I'm like, "No, you don't." She's like, "I walked into the office, and I was like, that's not that's, that's Anna's dad.' That's not my dad." But I, I told my so, mom about it. She got all weird. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, wait, what? <laughs> if you get a 23andMe oh, request from shit. a dentist, you're going to be like, what the fuck? I know. I know. Oh, my God. But my dad's oh, so, like, you're uh, too angry to not be my kid. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. That's emotional. That's yeah. nurture. That's not nature. Thank you. That's in, a, in, a, in a weird aside, I married, like it was my job to fuck up, I married somebody that I knew for a month who was super hot and had two kids when I was 24. And she was born and raised in a place called Forest, Mississippi, like population 200. Okay. And she was in her 30s when she found out that her sister was her mother. Yep. Whoa. Whoa. The Mississippi shit. Whoa. Mississippi yep. shit. Yeah. She thought it was her sister. And there was this weird period for like when her mother went out of town for a year and came back with a daughter. Oh. And, you know. Wow! But it wasn't actually her mom's daughter. It was it was her. It was her sister's daughter because her sister was her mother. Oh my god! So weird, That's traumatizing that? to find out, yeah. especially when you're old enough to like process all of this. Like yeah, and she was mentally unhinged to begin with. <sighs> that did not help. Wow! Shockingly, shockingly, the marriage only lasted eleven months. I know. I can't. Was that your only marriage? My only marriage. I've been engaged once. Okay. Other time, but that that person is also a lunatic. So I my picker was bad for a long time. <laughs> I had a really terrible picker. Was the worst picker. I mean, I had some some good ones. Here I was going to say, not my, as you got older, you you've you've picked well. You you've gotten wiser as you've I have, aged. I have as I sit here um, after an eight year relationship is gone and I'm now like coming up on 58 and single, which is such the hot thing to be right now. Honestly, it is. Yeah. Like, mm, really? Yeah, I think so. You, a bunch bunch of your friends, like, I want you to start shopping me around. Find me (laughs) anybody that's your, like any of your friends that is like, yeah, he's hot. A lot of people date older. Yeah. Older guys with money and careers. Mm. That's the, that's the truth. Can I Listen, ask you? you, you talk about, do you, you date talk younger? About jobs? Yeah, I want to talk about jobs, but yeah, I'm asking. Well, I don't want. I don't want anybody like my age. Right. You know, I don't want any grandmothers. I can't. <laughs> like, I can't bang a granny. <laughs> I, I would like. I would happily like. I would happily like. You know, I, listen. The woman I dated had two kids. You know, for eight years. You know, they grew up without me ever meeting them. 
um, because she kept me a secret. But that's a whole other story. For okay. Day. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's for my next. But yeah, podcast. but but she, but she was like, the you know, she was, I guess, one. she was thirty-four when we first started dating with mm-hmm. two kids. So I wasn't afraid of that. And you know, forty-two, forty-three when we broke up. Yeah. So it's not like I'm afraid of it, but like I don't want like another fifty-seven-year-old. Like, right. I still like I'm still like rolling my dice. Like I may get somebody pregnant. <laughs> Like, I'm really, I'm really, I want a kid. I want that job. That's the one job I want. I I think you'd be a great dad. You're kind of like. Everybody says that. You're like a dad for all of us when you lead that class. We're all like, no, you listen to dad. You fucking, you run right now. He said it. (laughs) Every, everybody says that except for ovulating women. Stop. (laughs) No, you'll meet the right person. You I made, will. I made Ellen. I made I made Ellen giggle right there. Ellen giggles. I giggle. She's, she's loving it right from time to time. She's loving she's like, it. She's like, I like that line. <laughs> all right, so you've had a lot. I mean, we've been all over the map. Are there any other jobs that stand out to you? I want to know because you became a life coach. You really. I, I've done a. I've, okay. I want to say I you really job. you you talked a lot on this podcast about you know you were a fuck up. You did a lot of drug selling and drugs and stuff, but you really like pulled your life together. You're an inspiration to a lot of people, and I think it's amazing yeah, well, what you do. Let me let me talk about one job which has to do with physical strength, but also mental strength, which I didn't really associate until very recently into what it had done for me. So the thing is, I have a really strong back. Okay. It's crazy strong. And <laughs> my friends. Check it out. No, he like I, got up. I'm like, here we go. He's going to be like, no, I just, check out this. I sat up, sat up straight. <laughs> but if you've met me, I'm wide. I'm like, my yeah, my back is wide and really strong because when Because we you make us hold coke, these weights me, out for fucking 10 minutes. Yes, you just hold them. <laughs> me, and, me and my friend, let's call him Angelo, who we were going in and we were dealing uh, cocaine at Studio 54, but during the summer, we had construction jobs working for his families and my also part of my family, not my family, but like family friends, construction companies. Okay. So we'd leave Studio 54 at like 4 o'clock in the morning and be on a job site by 5 a.m. Jesus still Christ. Still snorting coke. And with all, with, I was my job, he could drive all the tractors and stuff. So my job was, I was a mason's apprentice, a bricklayer's apprentice. Wow. So what I had is I had like a, uh, I was, uh, two boards. It was like a board in the shape of an L. They were like made out of pieces of plywood or yeah. like that. And it had a leather strap on the back. It was very Italian. It's like old, you know, been used since like the Roman time. It's like, <laughs> it's a piece of L and they stack bricks on that. You hold it. They put a bunch of fucking bricks and you walk up a flight of stairs you unload the bricks and you walk back down. Okay. But we were building, we were building like you know seven or eight story buildings. So the further up you got, the heavier the loads got, the more times you had to go up and down in a day. And it gave me this strong back, like I just you know, and this like fortitude. Like I didn't realize until later, but like I never ever ever quit. Like no matter how, I never took mm-hmm. a minute off because because I was like the kid. And all the old men would like scream and yell and shit. And I never wanted to be screamed to yell that. So I just, I could like, I could be bleeding out of my eyeballs. I would go up another flight of stairs just to like keep going. Mm-hmm. I also liked lunch because it was very Italian because we would just sit in a circle and they would pass around jugs of wine. Everybody had a knife. So you would cut off a piece of cheese, cut off a piece of bread, cut off a piece of salami. You know, like it would just sit there and that would be, and drink red wine. And then we'd go back to work. Like in Tuscany. So I didn't realize, <laughs> yeah, it was basically Tuscany, but Stanford, Connecticut. <laughs> Building building a chemical warehouse. Yeah, my my summer in Tuscany. Building a chemical building a chemical warehouse. Yeah, I went abroad so, for school. <laughs> yeah, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you know so like that that like fortitude really passed on to me and that strength like i remember people have hit me in the back with like bats and two by fours and it's like they were expecting to like knock me out but they never did and that strength of like just never giving up is why i'm alive today because even after suicide attempts and drug addiction and alcoholism and 12 rehabs i just never gave up mm-hmm. i just never i just refused to quit even it sounds funny like i Tempted to commit suicide, but I was unsuccessful. And then I would pick myself up, dust myself off, and just keep fucking going. Yeah. So I'm very. It's amazing. I, I just had, I just had perseverance tattooed on my left side of my head about a month ago. So it's like that's, you know, what every job I've had, I've gotten through it. Mm-hmm. There was a great story I wanted to tell you about me uh, working at this nightclub in San Antonio, Texas, and getting fired for stealing, which I was totally doing along with everybody else. <laughs> But then me uh, attacking the manager for how you know, dare he fire me for stealing. Mm. Um, it was really ugly scene because I was drunk and I was drunk off the liquor I had stolen, <laughs> and so I got fired from that job. Um, that was fun. Oh my god! Uh, you know I've had a crazy. I've run nightclubs and bars. I've run like you know I ran this place called El Carmen in L.A., which was like the place in L.A. when we opened up. It was like the place where I found Benicio del Toro standing in the rain of a, at a, at the back of a line with like 120 people when he had just like blown up and he was like fucking Benicio del Whoa. Toro and he was like in everything and he's standing in line. I'm like, dude, Benny. I'm like, come on, man. It's like I was like that, mm-hmm. you know, where you would walk into the where I would walk into the club and like I'd be sitting there in an afternoon and like. Courtney Love and Marilyn Manson are like, and Edward Norton are sitting at a table. Jeez. And then Marilyn Manson and Rose Byrne are another table. Like it was that place in LA. Like all the celebrities. And I was like that guy. Wow. You know, so it's like it was super, super weird and my life has been weird and fun. Um, I've tried to remain employable, but at points I wasn't, but I've always had fun jobs and interesting shit. And you are employable. You know. I mean, I am employable now. You tell amazing stories, but you help a lot of people now. I feel like you, you, your stories are like, they're so fun and they're so animated and they're so wild. And you know, you always, you always end them with like, but I'm alive and I'm here. And you you bring that to everything. You know, you like, you don't put too much pressure on it. I feel like people put so much pressure on things and dumb jobs and, you know, getting fired and stuff like that. Like you literally are a walking, you know, symbol of like, of perseverance of someone who just is like on to the next, you know, fuck it. I'm here and Um, I can do more. I had three, three jobs in Hawaii. I lived in Maui and and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll I'll get to the point of this in just a second. I, uh, I had led, horseback riding tours to the pineapple fields in the morning. <laughs> okay. We used to take, I used to, I was just, I was a uh, highly certified scuba diver and I would lead uh, tourists snorkeling and do, and be, we would meet and a friend would circle under them in scuba tanks, um, stopping sharks from killing tourists. And, but the other job I had was I was a banquet captain for the Hyatt Regency in Kanapali in Maui. We would do meals with like, 3,000 to 5,000 people. And I was just telling this story the other day because I think it really sums up what I do at SoulCycle and what we all do um, with work. And I, so we're doing break dinner for like 5,000 people. I think it was like Sony or Pepsi. They'd have these huge conventions okay. where they'd fly in everybody and they'd hire like Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons or Dion Warwick or like Stevie Wonder, like big entertainment. Mm-hmm. Like they'd do a week, they'd do a week in Hawaii for their best sellers or whatever. And one of the dinners, there was this new kid named Patrick and he's sort of a little overweight, redheaded. He'd just gotten to Hawaii. He'd just gotten the job. We just hired him and he was all sunburned and he was like, 
running like a madman. He was like Bilbo Baggins, like just running all over the fucking dining room. And I was like, Patrick, come here. I was like, I need four pitchers of water right away, all right? And he just sprinted away from me towards where you get the water. But he was like in a full jog. As much as as much as much Patrick could sprint, he was sprinting. And he came running back, and he's beat red. And he sets the water pitchers down. I was like, wait right here. And I'm just sweating profusely. His apron is falling off. I went, and I placed the water pitchers on the tables. And I went back, and I was like, Patrick. He's like, what? I'm like, listen to me very carefully. What are we doing right now? He goes, we're working. I was like, no. We're serving these people dinner. It's one of tens of thousands of dinners they'll have in their life. This is not that important. I don't need you to run. I don't need you to sweat. I don't need you to be disheveled. I don't need you. I love that you care that much, but don't care that much. Like, do your job, but don't have a heart attack doing it. We are not saving pediatric cancer patients. Mm -hmm. We are not doing eyeball replacement or brain surgery. We're serving dinner. And it's like, I do the same thing at SoulCycle. I see a lot of employees get super fed up. And this is at every job. You get fed up with management or your schedule or what the fuck's going on or, you know, like what's happening. And you get really frustrated. You got to remember, like, it's a job. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like it, you can get another one. It's not the best job you've ever had if it's making you feel this, this way. Find a job before you leave your job. That's always a good thing to try to do. Mm -hmm. But it's not that, nothing that we do is that important. Now, if my cardiologist didn't show up today, I would be a little bummed because I had an appointment. If he'd been like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm done being a cardiologist. <laughs> I want to be a golf pro. I'm like, okay, cool. But even then, even then, and he's a world-class cardiologist, there's another cardiologist in his office who right. saw me. Wow. You know? Yeah. So it's like, how important is what you're doing doing it? Is it worth your well-being? Is it worth your sense of self? Well, well-being, sense of self-worth, self-esteem, your heart—is it worth taking home with you? Mm-hmm. Like I had a girl that I was work, uh, you know, that I was life coaching two years ago, and she worked at Twitter, and she was like losing her fucking shit. Yeah, and we had to like really separate. Like you are not your job, right? That is not who I am, and Twitter don't give a shit about you. <laughs> if you suffer a fucking massive stroke because you're all stressed out, Twitter don't give a fuck. No company cares. If their employees die, they'll send some fucking flowers. They'll do the right thing. They'll, the insurance company will pay off the life insurance. Mm-hmm. That's it. You're replaced. Yeah. So, like, everybody, everybody gets so worked up over their jobs. And it's like, man, it's not that important. And the more you stress, the more le- the less work you're working at a deficit mm-hmm. when you're stressed. Because you're doing the work you have to do, and you're dealing with stress. Yeah, you're it's twice effective, as hard. Less of Less effective, less efficient, less good at what you're trying to do so well. That it's so important that you have to fucking kill it. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. Amazing. Well, That's awesome. Living. That's such good advice. Thank you. I love that. Oh, he uh, gives the best Ellen. advice. He gives the best advice. That's why, he, uh, that's why he has all these fans and he's so popular. And he got, he's a life coach and he's got... You do. You have a, a, you have a really nice fan base. And I, can I just say one thing? You have very nice... You have very nice fans. Like, especially from the... Cl- I've met... I've made friends from your classes who I keep in touch with, who've come see me do comedy, who, you know, they'll text me like, hey, I'm going to ride. Like, you know, you want to go do... Like, so sweet. So... And you've, you've cultivated that group. You've, like, brought, like, this amazing community together. So... Thank you. Thank you. It was my honor to be on this podcast. I've been like, and I, I, 
I will say very categorically, I've been bugging you about being on the podcast <laughs> since since the, since the pandemic started, and now well, that we we're, didn't do I it finally... for months because I didn't know how to do okay. it remotely. And then no, I... <laughs> no, I've I've been begging to do this, so I've sort of like manipulated <laughs> the shit out of this. So I'm glad you've succumbed to my manipulation. Oh, stop it! it. Awesome, you're awesome. It was awesome doing this. This you're was amazing. awesome. You're both amazing. I love you. I love you. We're, I can't wait to see you, both of you in my class. Yes, we're coming. Ellen, we'll go. Uh, Noah, can you please uh, plug? Where can people find you? Where can they listen to you more? Where can they okay. read your book? Okay, go on Amazon. Type in Stop Thinking Thoughts That Scare You. Buy my fucking book um, because I'm a self-published author. And every little book means 12 cents to me. Um, I am on Instagram a lot. Noah Shaw 26 noa S-H-E-W, no H on that, 26. Um, if you are having problems or you are distressed or you heard me and you're like, wow, I want to get in touch with that guy, please slide in my DMs or email me at noahshaw at mac.com. And I also have a website which you can get in touch with me and see what I do for a living and like how I help people. Um, it's noahshaw.com. And like just even if, you want, even if, if you're a single woman, and you're thinking about having a baby, um, also s- slide into my DM. I don't even need to be super involved in a child's life. If you're just looking for like a sort of like sperm donor adjacent, like I just want to see pictures and like get to know the kid a little bit, I'm cool with that as well because that, that could be my next job. I can help you. There you I go. I can help you raise. Papa. I can help you have a baby. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that you have baby fever. Like I, I didn't expect that to come up today and – you have a puppy you have a gorgeous dog my dog is in california where she's been for the last eight weeks she was about to come home and developed ringworm (gasps) and has been put into a seven week six week quarantine Mm -hmm. oh no she's still in yeah it's a long story we'll talk off air okay i'm sorry i just got i just got pictures of her the other day i was like my baby oh no no Uh, wonder he wants a kid (laughs) he wants now he needs a child all right well everybody go follow noah he's amazing and uh and if you're in new york also take his class you'll it'll turn you into a soul cycle fan show up go say i heard you on the podcast um and that's it thank you so much for being here ah isn't he a delight no one's the best Noah, you rule i loved did he convert did he now you want to try a soul cycle class, right? And I'm definitely going to go to the soul cycle class. And also, <laughs> while he was talking, I was like, how does one person have so many? I know he's a bit older than us, but how does one person have so many jobs? That's like, yeah, he's lived a billion lives. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. Every, every, and every story was so like, I don't know, so fulfilling. I felt like I'm like, I'm with you. I am on the fucking farm in texas right now like he's just he's such a good storyteller and he's just he's amazing he really is and he you know we he didn't talk too much about like how he is an amazing life coach and uh, instructor and like has changed people's lives and he does this thing he mentioned it i think to us off air but he does this thing uh i'm sorry uh you know i'm bragging about it but take his sunday night class because he the rock star ride he plays all rock music and he does the fuck yeah at the end of the class where he asks if anybody in the class needs uh good luck this week Mm -hmm. and everybody puts their hand on someone's shoulder it's very spiritual and uh you know people who've had family members who are sick or you know they're unemployed or i don't know anything if you you know Mm -hmm. going through some uh, a 
divorce, whatever. And everybody puts their hand on the shoulder and he says, okay, like Ellen today needs the fuck yeah. And on the count of three, we're going to scream fuck yeah. And we're going to give her all the like luck and love in the world. And we, we all do it. And it's, it's people cry. It's really like, wow, you know, it's beautiful. he'll ask, why do you need the fuck yeah this week? You know, and some people say a family member's sick or, you know, they'll yeah. say something like that does more remind private. me of church a lot. But that's really cool. yeah no definitely because I went to like Baptist churches and like that kind of stuff happens all the time you're like mm. laying hands on people and crying well and you know they call soul cycle a cult and I get it you know I'm with it I'm fine <laughs> with it but yeah. it is nice but he's very real you know and it, and it's true what he said made me feel so like we get so worked up in like our day to day that we're like you know we let our fucking jobs get to us sometimes where it's like. I'm not performing brain surgery. You're right. I think if you let it, it should get to you if you're performing brain surgery. Like you can't, you can't let it, you have to yeah. do the surgery. You know what I'm not, trying to say? Not while you're doing the surgery. Like right, right, right. After. Yeah, yeah. But that uh, was really you know great what? advice from him. Yeah. I think that's totally right. It's, it's so easy, especially if you, I don't know, any job really, like you just get so obsessed with it sometimes. And yeah. It's like, this is not what life is for. Yeah. No, life's precious. Um, I was going to say to you also, like you asked how my jobs are this week, because, you know, mm-hmm. Anna, Anna does 6,000 jobs in a week. Mm-hmm. And I felt so busy the last few days with um, auditions, which auditions are weird because it is my job. I choose to be an actor and a voice actor and, you know, but you don't get paid to do the auditions and sometimes you get a lot of material thrown at you and they need it in 24 hours and it's really it's stressful because you want it you want to do it so well you know and you got to clear your schedule and you got to make sure you learn these lines and you got to do it and like you know for an audition I mean I was taught always you have to be off book you can't you know I don't hold a script when I do a tape a self-tape um you know it's different if it's a host audition you can read a prompter but Still, you want to be as familiar with the material as possible. It makes mm-hmm. you look good. It makes your agents look good, whatever. But it's so much. And I'm like, I spent so much time in the last, like, 36 hours, like, learning nine pages of dialogue. Like, yeah. and, you, and I'm good at it. I can do it. It really only takes me, like, an hour to learn it. But Yeah. There's no other job like that, really, where you have to do, like, spec work, basically, to yeah. get the job. And I'm not, I, I probably won't get the, most likely won't get the job, but yeah. I really like prepared and did it and took my time. And I was like, damn. And it was a, a dramatic kind of script, which I don't often do. And I love, I love, love, love when like I get something like that because it's almost like a way to prove to my agency and the casting director that like, oh, she's not just a silly comedian, you know? Because yeah. usually I get very funny roles because they, you're kind of put in this category of like comic stand-up host you know Mm -hmm. so when you get a meaty like role it's like hell yeah i can get angry i'm angry fucking half my life you know 50 percent of my days i'm angry i'm angry i uh, you know i didn't book harvey milk but i should have i mean like come on (laughs) oh you went out for the role of harvey milk I, you know, I was called in and then they were like, they saw me and they were like, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. It's not the right fit. It's not the right fit. Yeah. Yeah. But it's very stressful to do that. And it's, it sucks that you aren't like there. And I know people have brought this up, but the unions, you know, and SAG and everything, but like it, it would be really great if you got paid (laughs) to do these, especially if it's a SAG audition, you know, like project. 
even twenty dollars. Like literally, does anyone get paid? Does anyone ever get paid to do an audition? No, it's not a thing. No, no, it's unheard of. And like the other thing is, is I have to then get Jared to help me. You know what I mean? I have to make sure he's available and like he works. And so, you know, I have a very specific time that I can like work with him, you know, and and shoot something with him. I mean, it's different now that we're not going. I don't go into these offices like we used to. You know, why would we go in if we can do a tape at home like after COVID? So it's a lot more work to be your own, you know, DP and reader and, you know, it's Ugh, and totally and I don't I can't know imagine like do it people who home. live alone. Yeah, I mean, because I, I was helping out my friend with a few self tapes mm-hmm. and we were like shooting them in my apartment and I was like trying to find a wall where we could do it. <laughs> There's just like so much stuff everywhere. It's so hard to like make something look like super professional from home. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I feel lucky you, I have like a backdrop of it. Yeah. You have like, your, thanks, but it's not easy. And I feel for everyone. And you know what, guys, actors, we should be fucking paid to do it. You know, <laughs> it, literally it could be like very little money, but it's like, it makes you feel like you're being paid for your time and your talent. Like, it, I don't know. <laughs> Because yeah. one person's going to get that job. One person is going to get that job. And hundreds, thousands, who the fuck knows, are, are going through the work for hours, studying mm. that script, reading the full script, making the tape, editing the tape. You know, I have to color correct now. I never had to do that before, but for some reason, my fucking phone makes me orange when I put it on my <laughs> computer. And I'm like, great. So I have to color correct every goddamn oh God. audition. And it's just like more time. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, anyway, I'm not complaining lot. because I'm very grateful to get that audition. And I was really excited to do the work. But you look back and you're like, oh, my God, I have all this like emails I haven't caught up. Shit I haven't done because I've been like you kind of stop your life to do this audition and hope yeah. it's the one. Well, I'm putting out a fuck yeah for you to get Thank that. you. Touch my shoulder. <laughs> yeah, that yes. Get that roll. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. We got to end this episode. But I, uh, Ellen, thank you for being here. I love this. I hope people loved our episode a couple a couple ones back. We had fun. Yes. Um, and I want you guys to know, like, we want to do it again. So please write in to us. Send us your job stories. If you yeah. want to call into the podcast, would love to hear from you. You know where to find us. Uh, the unemployed team at gmail.com or find us unemployed podcast on Twitter or on Instagram. Uh, we check those DMs. We check the email. So reach out. Don't be a stranger. Uh, watch the Patreon. Watch watch the videos on Patreon. <laughs> and uh, and I'm sending you all a fuck yeah on behalf of Noah. <laughs> fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Bye. Right now, I just want to take a moment to thank everybody who has supported our Patreon. This is your shout out right here from me. Tons of love. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon, all of our videos go up there. Sometimes I just write fun things because I feel like it. And it's just a really nice way to support us at Unemployed. And, you know, so we can keep this thing going. We do it for nothing. We do it for fun. We do it for you to listen to. So definitely check out the Patreon. And right now, huge shout out to our patrons, Bill Horton, Chi of Steele, Danielle McCartney, Lori Jackson, Jeannie Logan, we got Joe Galati, Chris Arneson, Jordan Lucero, Oscar Yuen, Ken Levin, and Vic Terry. Thank you so much. You have no idea how much it means to us, and I appreciate you, and I see you, and I love you.